0: There's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girls' night, we have to get our fix. And that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or a dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girls night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's KellysKillerPopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. This is The Gala Show. I'm your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery. On this episode... You may know my guest as the creator of the animated series Super Robot Monkey Team Hyperforce Go, the executive producer of the 2012 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles TV show, or even as a director of one of my favorite animated shows, Teen Titans. He's a man of many talents, but here on The Gala Show, I simply know him as that dude with a ton of cool 16mm prints that I run into at all of the cool screenings around Los Angeles, Ciro Nieli. Hi, Ciro.
1: Hi, Gala. How are you?
0: I'm doing really <laughs> excellent, especially since we're in your beautiful home that is full of all these beautiful objects that I'm not going to talk about because I don't want anyone else to know that they exist. Yes.
1: It's an LA secret. <laughs> it's my uh, my pandemic uh, fortress that I decided to never leave.
0: <laughs> and I, I wish I never had to leave it either. Before we bring up the topic for today, I have a question about you. Okay. My stance on AI is really known amongst my friends, but I have to ask, as an artist, how do you feel about AI art?
1: Um, Well, I'm glad that it's weird looking because I want it to go away, (laughs) (laughs) if that makes any sense. I mean, and I understand that it's like super powerful and it's, you know, very alluring to a lot of people, especially non-artists, but, uh, you know, there's so much about technique that um, your personality as a creative person ends up owning and that, and, you know, comes with materials and mastering a material and the material kind of almost guides your creativity. And, uh, you know, a lot of those old materials are going to go away. And that's what bothers me about it. You know, it's kind of sad. And then it's also like just like everything else. It's just we don't need any more homogenation I think that's of the perfect world. Way to put it. I and if you homogenize creativity, we're all doomed, like, culturally. I, let's stop I mean I agree. take it easy
0: all my friends know how I feel about AI <laughs> so I had to ask an artist how they felt because I'm not and I mean I guess I'm an artist because I paint with oils and stuff but I'm not like a That's dedicated hard. but I'm not like a dedicated artist that uh does it every day or yeah it, it like lives it and etc but yeah I'm glad that we feel the same way I think about, it's about
1: perception though I think you're seeing you see the world as an artist constantly you're you're photographing things you're looking through a, a frame yeah. you know yeah a lens
0: well, the human touch is the strongest thing yes. we have. So, now, as always, my guest gets to bring their topic to the mic. Ciro, what's the topic for today, and why did you decide to choose it?
1: Um, I think I'm getting a little nostalgic in my uh, in my current age, uh, and I've been thinking a lot about how I grew up because I'm you know I'm reflecting on why I'm at where I'm at now, and I think a lot of it has to do with my childhood. So, my topic is I grew up. In a pizza shop in Philadelphia all through the late 70s 80s and into the 90s and at some point I think this is where it makes sense on your show is very early on in that period a video store opened next door oh really? so I had this like I had that perfect ubiquitous like that quintessential pizza and a movie rental night was my life 24-7 but first it's time for a commercial break
0: be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoke Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Oops, guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, So go check out SmokedBros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. And we're back. And that's our topic for today. Growing up in a Philly pizza shop with the VHS store next door. I'm going to put 30 minutes on the clock and our time starts... (laughs) Now, <laughs> So who owned this Philly pizza shop?
1: My father. My father was, um, <clears throat> shortly after I was born, my parents moved to Philadelphia. They chose, they had to choose between, um, you know, everybody was emigrating here. So I was actually, my dad worked, my dad was a kid in Sicily and worked, uh, left Sicily at a young age as a teenager and moved to the UK and was like a, a teenager in London like during the swinging 60s and um so like he would see the stones and the Beatles, and he was like you know a 19 year old (laughs) and he uh which is amazing and then he decided to uh, he moved he got my mom from the same village in sicily to move to london too and My sister they had my sister in London and then I was born and then like shortly after I was born I wasn't even a year old they moved to the US.
0: So you're a British a British citizen.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I was originally I'm dual So
0: you're dual now. Yeah, yeah. I'm dual Canadian. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah So I'm like I'm trying for my triple like I want to get my Italian citizenship
0: You could probably get your Italian and then through your British you could probably get your Canadian your Kiwi and your Australian whoa Yeah. But like, but the UK is kind of weird. They don't always like, acknowledge like the dual, but the yeah. US acknowledges, so that that's what matters. But, but your yeah. dad, when he came to the US, did he open the pizza shop?
1: He did. I think. Well, he start. He learned the ropes for some other guys, mm-hmm. and my mom came with her sister and her brother, and they all like. So my mom's sister and brother both got into like the pizza business as well. So then my dad did too. So it was like there was three pizza shops with between my cousins and my aunts and uncles, and um, so they opened one, like, in the suburbs, right outside, north of Philadelphia, um, and it was wild, because I had two lives growing up, I had the town I grew up in, and I had to go, to, geez, I, I'm saying all this stuff now out loud, uh, I had to go to the Catholic school, you know, for 12 years, and that was a very specific, odd life to grow up in, and then I would be, School would end, and I would run off to this other town that was really, you know, urban adjacent and, you know, sling pizza with my dad.
0: How old were you, you think about?
1: Well, this all started when I was like three. Oh, really? So I was like, you know, I like was like... You
0: legitimately grew up in the pizza shop.
1: Yeah, I wasn't latchkeyed so much. You know, they would just drag me along.
0: I think that's an important thing because with a lot of the creatives I've talked about, like we discussed the whole idea of the latchkey kid. Like my father was a latchkey kid. Mm-hmm. And then like Larry Karaszewski, Larry Karaszewski talked about how he was kind of like, um, I think he like called it like an ozone. Like, you know, he's like, his dad would like bring him to like the, the drive-in theaters. And it's like, that's like kind of his thing. Yeah. But I think this idea of like being a latchkey kid as a creative, so you were not, you were brought by your parents everywhere.
1: I had a little bit of latchkey, but, but they would, they rather stick me in the corner while they were working. And I might as well have been a latchkey kid. And I really kind of perfected like UFO, like spaceship mind. Like I would sit in one place (laughs) and my mind would be like in the rest of the universe, uh, cause I was so terribly bored and I would read books. And I think that's how I really got really like, pr- like honed in on my drawing abilities. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I would sit on a stool where we had like the guest check pads where you'd write the orders that would come in on the phone or whatever. And I would just, you know, I would draw flip books where I would draw, like, you know, I would, I would, you know, chronicle the, the high scores I would get on asteroids or something. I would, I would, you know, <laughs> you know, I would do my little drawing of an asteroid in a spaceship. Um, <clears throat> and I have some of that stuff, and it's weird to see it now because it's oh, you it tells it? a story. I have a lot of all that stuff, and I have endless drawings on the back of pizza menus. Oh really? You know, I have drawings of like all kinds of stuff. I have drawings. I, I went through some weird period. I don't know why, but it was always Mickey Mouse giving the finger. In front of a, a speeding, <laughs> in front of a speed limit sign. Oh,
0: so it's those old 50, ladies. It's those old ladies.
1: Yeah, it says. It says. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it says. It says. Fit, you know. It says speed limit fifty-five, and it's almost like Mickey Mouse spray-painted like an X through it, and he's giving the finger. Because I think I was like really into like Sammy Hagar or something. Um, oh my god. Uh, so I, you know, weird stuff like that, or like drawings of Michael Jackson, or Dragons Lair, or Dungeons and Dragons, and You're Transformers. Dungeons and Dragons guy. No, I wasn't, but I was I was a fantasy guy. Yeah. Like I I okay, I'm going to talk about the Dungeons and Dragons thing for 2 seconds. Yeah. I there's no aesthetic that attracted me more as a kid than the D&D aesthetic. I love the D&D cartoon. When I would try to unpack it and learn what it was, it was this boardless game. And I would go to the store and look for it, and it was very complicated. It was just like it was like a textbook. Yeah. And at the time, I had no friends that wanted to play it with me, that's so it never happened part. for me.
0: That's the hard part. Like for me, it also kind of never happened for me. I mean, I had friends that tried to do it with me online, but I don't feel like that's the same. No. Uh, I mean, maybe, but I think sitting around the table with each other and like really role playing. My dad has his Dungeons and Dragons handbook. And he like used to hand draw all and then cartoon all of like what the monsters would look like in it. So when I flipped through it, I was like, wow, I can visualize what all this is. And then I took him to go see that new um, Dungeons and Dragons movie. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because uh, he, we did love it. Yeah, yeah. To yeah. be honest, we loved it. I thought it was good. He thought it was good. Like yeah. he loved it, but he was also like, This is not what I imagine these monsters to be. So there was like <laughs> a little bit of like this like disconnect. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, but it's cool that they included this one and that one. Like that's kind of like a deep yeah. cut. But he's like, but it wasn't like what was in his head as a kid. Yeah, so he's down was, with the Owlbearer,
1: but yeah. still. Exactly. Yeah. I, I yeah, I have a little FOMO on it. I'm not gonna lie. Like because uh, I did all the I did all the amazing eighties things you could ever imagine, except that. Except for that. And so so when I, mean, I look you at it that now. way, it's okay. You could start now. Yeah, I could start now, but I should really be drawing. Well, you could
0: be drawing the monsters. <laughs> I'll
1: do it. We should start our own, uh, we our, could own start our own campaign. Yeah. We could start a, a podcast campaign. Cause that's never been done before. Yeah. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like it's, it's, um, yeah, the 80, I mean, I remember like some of my earliest memories just like, cause I'll talk to younger people. I mean, I don't even talk about like people that are like, there's a gap because what happened with me was I was a, I have a bigger gap even culturally than a lot of people my age because Mm -hmm. I was, I was public at a young age. Yeah. So like, um, you know, a lot of kids, I don't know how it is now, but I'll just say like growing up, like people weren't allowed out of the house to be their own person until they got their driver's license and got a job when they were 16. Like, but I remember being like, you know, three years old and like You know, being at work and dancing, like, you know, hanging out in the jukebox and dancing, like leaning on the jukebox, you know, listening to like Casey and the Sunshine Band. So in a weird way, it's like, yeah, I remember disco. I didn't go to discos, but I remember when disco popped off. I was like at the jukebox at the jukebox. I was three years old. I knew I, I knew the groove. You know, you felt it coursing so through your veins. I have a different perspective on things. Like, I think I'm more geared to get along with people 10 years older than me. In I a think way, I of, relate
0: it. to that also because yeah. I think, like, the things that my father showed me when I was younger,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like, I, I always tell people, You have a cool dad. I have a really cool, I have a super cool dad. Yeah. I'm lucky for that. And I also have a really cool mom. I love my mom. And, uh, but I always tell people, like, when I was a kid, I thought that everyone knew who the violent femmes were. <laughs> like, when I was, like, in like third and fourth grade, I thought they were, like, the new band.
1: Yeah,
0: I'm rolling my eyes right now. I thought they were the new band. I thought everyone knew what "Gone Daddy Gone" was, and I yeah. used to sing it, and I loved it. And then my friend was like, "What the frick are you doing?
1: Like, what is this?" And I'm like, "Don't you know who the Violent Femmes are?" And they're like, "No." You're like, I have I have all kinds of music: In Sync and the Violent Femmes. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: have Britney and the Violent <laughs> Femmes in my uh, like my little iPod shuffle. Like, who knows what you're gonna get?
1: God, I love the Violent Femmes. I, I had the tape, and I would and my my. In my Mustang in high school, I remember I used to drive around and just pop in that tape, and we'd all scream the lyrics. Yeah, it was such a chant along.
0: It is a chant along.
1: Cathartic band. I think
0: that band's a chant along, cathartic band, and I think the White Stripes sure. kind of like after that. They were the, They took it. Well, yeah, they took yeah. the stadium anthem, for mm. seven. Like a, I think Seven Nation Army is considered mm-hmm. like a stadium anthem now, but. But yeah, so you were kind of displaced in time because of your, I guess, growing up next to the jukebox, you had that whole disco influence.
1: Yeah, and like, you know, I was also dealing with people, so I think I learned. Well, in you were working. working. Yeah. When when
0: did your dad put you behind the counter actually working?
1: Like, because you couldn't have been three years old. By the time I was six, I was definitely talking to the public. Wow. Like, I was in the back a lot, because in the morning you'd show up and there's prep to do for the day. So it's like... Um, in the morning you're prepping for sandwiches. So you're slicing all the lunch meats. You're getting the bread ready. You're, you're shaving down like iceberg lettuce. And who huggies. else worked
0: there? It was like your dad owned my mom, it. My your mom, my sister.
1: So the whole family. And, and there was always like one high school girl or like the local Italian American. Like it was always the same kid. It was always, uh, <laughs> a guy that was like 16 to 18. Wasn't sure if he was going to college like, was bodybuilding and smoked way too much weed and had a Camaro. (laughs) And, like, you know, and I was, like... same guy, different day. Same guy. Like, they're either named Mike, Nick, or Tony, you know. Or Tommy. Aldo. Is there a Tommy in there? Frank. There was a Tommy. (laughs) And they always had, like, cute girlfriends that looked like Valerie Bertinelli. And I would pine after them at, like, seven years old. Um, But, and then, like, I would accidentally, like, you know, because I was, like... Fastidious as a boy, I was always clean. I always had to clean and stuff. So they would leave like, you know, weed pipes or bongs around, and I would like clean them out, and they they get mad at me because they're like, "No, you, you, you turn out the you best." Don't part. You don't understand. You don't understand. I was you'll, like, I really don't understand. you get it when you're older. Like all I want is Nintendo. I don't know what you're talking
0: about. I don't want any of this pot. I just want I just want Mario.
1: Mom, he smoked all the pots. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was wild. And uh, uh, yeah, there's that aspect. There's like deal with the public, but also deal with this like wild card person that I was around. And then sometimes my dad would leave for like X number of hours and be like, just watch the shop and like be in charge of... Really? aldo who's high on coke and i'd be like and i didn't know and, and you were like,
0: like eight or something like yeah. a little kid like okay you're in charge of the coke head like yeah. <laughs> who's back there making pizza yeah yeah oh my gosh oh, that it was, must have been what wa- I mean, exciting well th- th- that's also the thing it's like how do you think that it would have been different like if you grew up like in an l.a shop rather than a philly shop
1: jeez oh, oh gosh I mean, I don't know what the Italian-American presence was here yeah, in, like, really, the either. early 80s. Yeah. I mean, there was pizza shops, I imagine, but were they more, like, shakies and, like... I mean,
0: I wasn't even alive yet, so I have no idea. Yeah.
1: I mean, who knows? I mean, I know what it would have been like in Brooklyn, and I know what it would have been like in Chicago, because that's w- where i like. Would
0: it have been really different than Philly, you think? Um,
1: pretty similar. I just think, you know, Brooklyn, you have, like... it's so cool to be, like, you know, bed you know, like you know that was so i remember like watching do the right thing and thinking it was like so so almost autobiographical but at the same time like took kind of a world stage where philly is always kind of like kicked to the side city Mm -hmm. just because of its proximity to manhattan um they're only about 90 miles apart but they're very similar yeah um you know, I think now, post, not now, but post 9-11, a lot of people started moving to Philly. And now it's really,
0: it was safer. It was safer. I want to put the word safer in quotes because I think that there was like the illusion that yeah. New York became super dangerous after 9-11 and so that people were leaving the city because they mm. thought that there was safety and not being in New York.
1: It was cheaper for sure. Yeah. But it's mad crazier. Is it? Yeah. I mean, I think New York in the 70s, like, you know, you're... Your 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 Travis Bickle, New York has come and gone in ways and that's not the trash up. in the
0: streets, just like so much <laughs> yeah. trash that it just blows around.
1: Yeah. The, it's like LA now. You're just waiting for the rain to come God, and wash it all.
0: Yeah, someday a real rain will come and wash
1: the I know, I'm, from I'm waiting the streets. for it to happen in LA. It's
0: uh, uh LA is intense right now.
1: Yeah, it's sad. I love this city so much. I mean I'm as much an Angelino now as a Philadelphian. I've split
0: When did you move here?
1: I was twenty five and um What happened? I, um, so I went to, you know, fast forward all that pizza stuff. I went to film school, graduated, and just was the kid that didn't want to leave home. So I was trying to make my way. There was no avenue as a creative in film or animation on the East Coast, really, Mm -hmm. outside of commercial stuff in New York. So I would go door to door and like try to, you know, make a living as an animator because that's, you know, I felt my strength was. And, you know, so I was like in my bedroom, like doing like used car commercials, you know, like painting cells. They were all hanging on like clotheslines, like, and then filming them like on a Mitchell, like on a 16 millimeter Mitchell, like on an Oxbury setup, and doing lab work and taking them to like, here's your commercial for your used cars. Like it was really, and that's like, I'm talking like 1996. That's not like, I'm not talking, I'm not talking 1978. I was still shooting on film and um i hung out and then i you know it was hard to make a living that way so i started teaching at a university level um and then were
0: you teaching film? i was or teaching, animation?
1: i was teaching like storytelling, storyboarding and animation 101 um and then my parents one day were like we're moving back to italy really yeah like in like 99 or something and i was just kind of like what and they're like, so are you going to stay here? or You want to go to Italy? And I'm like, no, I'll just probably Do you I speak guess, Italian? Yes, it's broken. Yeah. Okay, real quick, sidebar. Yeah. The Italian I speak, you got to remember a little bit what I said earlier. My dad left Italy in the late 60s. He lived in a very small village where in, the yeah. dialect is very specific. It's is it not, a Sicilian dialect? Yeah. It's a very specific Sicilian dialect to that town. There, Every town was like, because it was like, they're like mountain villages with seven hundred mm-hmm. people, so it would all morph. Wow! So my dad goes to the UK. I'm born. I go to you know the UK, Philly. When I go to Sicily now, like if I go to Rome, people look at me like, "What the fuck? What what the fuck is wrong with you?" Um, when I go to Sicily, they go, "Oh, that's really cute. You speak like a ninety year old man with a weird some accent." Oh filled, yeah, because, you, yeah, we don't because you
0: learned it at like I, I know frozen someone, in time. I know like, someone who went to Japan and for a pottery thing and um they met a girl and now they're like living in japan with Uh this girl and i think they're going to get married to her but when he speaks japanese he speaks japanese like a 20 year old girl because who did he learn japanese from a 20 year old girl yeah and so it's a problem
1: with japanese yeah, like especially American Japanese guys. Yeah, yeah. I know. Because
0: then you end up like learning it, and because they speak so differently based on their gender, based on their age, etc. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, I know that. I spent some time in Japan. And, you know, people would be like, Sugoi! that's a very girl thing to say. You, yeah. if you're a dude, you say like, "Yabai," yeah, <laughs> "Show sure, you buy this. like you're you're cool man. Like it's the same meaning,
0: yeah. but yeah, it's
1: like. You could, you'll be doing that in Tokyo. <laughs> you can definitely tell
0: who learned what yeah. language from who. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your parents? Did your sister stay in Philly?
1: My sister moved to Belgium.
0: Oh, your so family's all over. They're
1: all over the place. So I came here. I packed everything in my Volkswagen, drove cross country, and I've been here for maybe twenty-five years.
0: Wow. So you, you are an Angelino.
1: I'm an Angelino.
0: That's what I love about L.A. I say this every single time. I love that L.A. is like people come together and they become an Angelina. Like you adopt yeah.
1: the culture of L.A. I think, I think I resisted it for a little bit, not realizing it. Because I just didn't understand where I was. I didn't understand that you could walk down a beautiful street with palm trees and someone could still stab you in the neck. Yeah, that's L.A. That was a hard lesson. Like, that's L.A., baby. Yeah, yeah. And then I think it was around like 2006, through work, I started getting... Um, season tickets to the LA Kings Okay, and I love hockey like I'm a Flyers, Philly Flyers guy and I started going to these LA Kings games and I like after a few years I felt such a kinship in Los Angeles like I think through because hockey. Of hockey yeah and being at the Staples Center Like,
0: oh you mean the crypto.com oh, no. arena
1: I mean, <laughs> whatever Yeah, and it was like I was like these are my people Like, I loved it. And I love love L.A. so much. That's what
0: um, Jeff Smith, who uh, one of the managers of the Bev told me, um, Uh he found... uh, I know Jeff. He's great. Yeah, you know Jeff. Yeah, of course you know Jeff. Um, He moved to L.A. and he found... uh, He tried to go to, like, some basketball games and, like, it didn't really Uh fit. And then he said for the Dodgers for him. That was, like, his gateway into Los Angeles and how he, like, felt like he became an Angelino was through going to the Dodgers stadium. Yep. Because you could just buy a ticket at that time for really cheap and it was just...
1: Well, he's in... uh, an arena with 50,000 people screaming for the same cause. I, That'll know. Do it. I that, don't do a, it. That's a, that's a lot of energy. you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I love that. What was the VHS store next to the Philly pizza shop, uh, called? Okay.
1: This is the craziest thing. I had this weird, uh, I, it's like people in Philly vacation at the Jersey shore. Uh-huh. So even if you don't know, like you can guess how gross that sounds because of the Jersey shore. <laughs> and I, recently I was like, uh, we gotta go to the Jersey Shore. Like, I just feel this need; it's calling me. Like, I recently, like, yeah, now? like, like a month ago. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, I haven't been to the Jersey Shore since I was like, I graduated from high school, and I got like wasted in Wildwood, and it was this like whirlwind weekend. It was great. It was beautiful. It used to be, because they have like dark rides and shit. It's like yeah. boardwalks, and like you get like Jersey pizza, like shitty boardwalk Jersey pizza. It's like beautiful thing. So I wanted to go, and I went, and we went to a. um You know, my girlfriend loves thrifting for like VHS tapes. And we're Mm -hmm. like, you know, so I go with her and we're going through VHS tapes. And this is a memory that has escaped my mind completely. This doesn't live in my brain. I'm going through these videotapes and I pull out like it was $5. It was a first edition. Like it was the first release of King Kong on VHS or whatever. I opened it up and the sticker on it was the video store (gasps) next to my dad's pizza shop, which is long gone. And it was and it was the logo and I got, like, quantum leapt. Like, my <laughs> I turned inside out in front of all these strangers and, like, almost, like, dropped to my knees. It was called Video Connection. And there was, like, a lightning bolt. Like, I don't know what a lightning wow. bolt has to do. but That's like, why
0: I love, um, it's funny, like, when, when I go to, like, Be Kind Video in Burbank. Sure. Uh, Matt, well, they're, they're both Matt, but Matt's mortuary, <laughs> loves to uh, remove the stickers from the tapes. I understand oh, that. I like them on. Because yeah, I yeah. love to get it in my hands and be like, Someone rented this. They rented it from this place at this address. They had to call this phone number. Mm-hmm. I love that history mm-hmm. personally. I like I like my objects that come to me yeah. being used.
1: Yeah, you like don't it's like don't get a boyfriend and have him remove his tattoos. <laughs> like that would be what you're mine now. I don't care what your story is.
0: Exactly. Get that
1: get that, you know, mom tattoo lasered off your your, 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 butt. your tramp stamp. <laughs> Yeah, you can't Mom do that. I mean, I, tram- I, I get mad. Like, I was doing that for a minute, and then over time, I went, like, why am I taking these off? Because you want them, like, if with alcohol. Well, because like, if someone, had, alcohol, taken it, if be someone had
0: taken it off, when you found it in that bin, you would not have known where it came from. Right, and then it came from the VHS store next to the shop that your dad ran. I
1: think Matt's trying to be like, "Oh, I've oh. had this. This was mine. I bought it. I, no, I no, bought he, it when the MSRP no, no, was no, 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 <laughs> no. He's
0: he's doing it. He's doing it because uh, he's they're selling them at the store. Oh. So I think they're taking off all the stickers it's and all not the names. OCD? I mean, maybe it's a little. I'll ask him <laughs> yeah. later. I'll ask him later today when I see him. I'll be like, "It's this OCD. Is that why you take the stickers off?
1: Yeah. No, I, my girlfriend yelled at me about it. She's like, "You need to stop taking the stickers off of these things. And I was like, "Well. Some of them are nasty though.
0: Some of them, if they're nasty, you gotta take them off. Yeah. Or if it's grimy, ew, you gotta take it off.
1: Yeah. Mold is the worst. VHS mold.
0: Yeah. It's I have not had to deal with that yet. Thankful somehow. You can clean it. I know you can. But I, you
1: have to. You need a spare VCR that you have to dismantle and all that.
0: That's a pain in my butt. It's it's kind of weird. You you worked on Teenage Ninja Turtles, and then like you have like this Philly pizza shop connection. And, like pizza yeah. a huge thing in that like do you feel like that like kind of came together like in a weird way
1: yeah i think so i mean i remember arguments with my dad where like you know we had the classic t-shirt where there's like the italian guy with a chef hat making the okay sign and like okay. yeah yeah and i had Wahoo. drawn a, <laughs> and i had drawn a version <laughs> with like i was pleading with my dad like can we do this instead for the next batch of shirts and it was a ninja turtle doing it and my dad just being like you gotta do you get... still have that drawing no oh,
0: i was gonna say that was i a have lots shirt. of
1: i have yeah. lots of Turtle drawings from that era though.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say that that would be a great shirt to to make right now. Like the, Maybe I the will. turtle with an okay sign. Like, okay, yeah. wahoo.
1: Yeah. So I think, I think, you know, it was weird. It was weird. I put my dad in the show. Oh, you did? Well, I put my dad's pizza shop, is the pizza shop in that version of turtles. Oh, that's so and nice. um, my dad became, you know, the whatever the origin is of this monster pizza face. I made mean, it my dad got mutated in the pizza face. Oh, that's
0: so I love it when people then, put like their their personal stories into yeah. their art because that is what art is
1: yeah yeah I mean that that whole that whole show was art directed by my childhood I because if it wasn't pizza and a deep understanding of that it was all 80s refused pop culture that is like bubbled up in the sewers so you know there was so much there were so many things that I liked in that era that were almost turtle adjacent like. Forget about the comics of it all, but like, *Tromaville*. Yeah. And like *Street Trash* and like those kinds of movie, like gross-out *Fangoria*. Did you see 80's the new uh,
0: *Troma*? I did. Did you like it, *The Toxic no. Avenger*? It's funny. Uh, I didn't
1: hate it, but it's like it's like it's fine. Yeah. I thought I've, it
0: was, heard, it's, I've talked to some people, several people about it so far, and a lot of people are saying I don't know why you have to remake it, but I haven't seen it yet, so I can't pass there's judgment. There's a lot of
1: cool things in it, but I just felt like. I don't know. I feel like sometimes the amount of effort it goes in to make something like that, you can just make a few adjustments and give it an original name. Mm, okay, but that's the sense. business of it. That's that marketing. Is, yeah. I'm not, you know, you also can't sell that movie. Someone's willing to give you money to make a Toxic Avenger remake. That's, yeah. uh, that I understand. So yeah. and unfortunately, also, it's where we're placed in the industry right now.
0: Yeah, that. I mean, there's a lot of sequels and a lot of yeah. going forward, but uh, also that movie has a very tight, fan base that really loves that movie
1: specific
0: specific like it's a very specific, very specific niche fan base
1: that lived really on vhs and it yeah. was a treasure for weirdo height like junior high kids it was like a they would pass that unrated tape around. It was very special.
0: I think I missed, I obviously I wasn't like sentient during this time, mm-hmm. but I think I kind of missed, I, I've i been thinking a lot lately. that There's like certain times in your life that a piece of art can really hit you exactly perfectly how it's supposed to. And I think I hit Toxic Avenger at the wrong point. Oh yeah. I think I saw it the wrong way at the wrong
1: point. Oh, that's, I can understand that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so specific. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of movies like that, I think. Um, like I mentioned, Street Trash. That's definitely one. I mean, that that movie's like really upsetting. You know, you had to be like a weird, gross out, like I, you had to love Garbage Pail Kids when you were 10 and then Toxic Avenger had to come out when you were 12. Like you were, you were teed up for it.
0: Yeah, and you kind of miss. <laughs> I was talking um, with uh, someone about Blair Witch Project. Uh-huh. Like I haven't seen it, but I think – it will never have the same impact on me as someone that went to go see it in the theaters like when it was first coming out because Mm -hmm. they, a lot of people were like literally convinced that that movie was found footage.
1: Let me tell you, this is going to strengthen your argument. That movie was made for my demographic at that time. Yeah. Totally failed on me. Wow. First of all, it gave me motion sickness. I -hmm. think I was drinking. So I'm in the theater and I started like, I had to throw up. Oh no, did you throw up? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah. And then... um. But the main girl—it's a real movie. Like, yeah. it's, oh, this is like Verte and we found this tape, and these campers got killed. The star of that movie was in all my film classes in college.
0: Oh, so you had like <laughs> that complete like disassociation. Yeah. Where, like, you knew like this is definitely not found footage because yeah, like, I she's still this, alive. I called her on the phone the other yeah. day. I saw her in lecture. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. it's like it does strengthen my argument because like the mm-hmm. the whole like. Like any good art, it's like the magic that they weave around the art. Also like the story, the history, like yeah. the, the the marketing, et cetera. It's like this is like what you're about to walk into, like suspend your disbelief. And if you totally can't, or you know the whole thing behind it, like I know the whole history. It's like one of the greatest depictions of like a found footage film. Yeah. Um, it's just lost on me. So I missed it. I I would hit it at the wrong time. Yeah. Or for a different reason, maybe.
1: Yeah because I think there was a mystique when it came out where it's like people just didn't know. The marketing was really brilliant. Yeah. Like they didn't come out and go this is a work of fiction, you know. But I wonder sometimes like you know I hit my the movie that really changed me as a person. There was a couple of them, but like you know the the thing that you know it imprinted on me was Chainsaw Massacre. Oh yeah. And sometimes and it has that same thing and I wonder sometimes because well, I wasn't around, I and was. Why
0: did it imprint on you though?
1: It was. It was okay because I lived in the pizza shop, basically. Yeah. Like, not like I slept there. Like it was a sweatshop, but you know, I spent a lot of time there. <laughs> um, I had. I was like, I had you know a full run of the video store. I was the kid. I was allowed behind the counter, and mm-hmm. they I knew could, you. I they could take tapes, you. and I didn't have to check them out, and they just just bring it back. So, like, you know, I watched watch whatever I wanted. I grabbed Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I was probably seven or eight. Mm. And it was one of those times that I was keyed, mm-hmm. And I popped in the tape and watched it. And, like, our TV, like, our couch kind of floated in the middle of the room back then. It wasn't, like, against the wall. And I remember I watched that whole movie from behind the couch, like, peering. I didn't shut it off, but I was, like, cowering behind the couch, you know. And uh, But I wonder, you know, in 1974, was there kind of a push where that was kind of, there was a mystique, like, is this, is, was this real? Because it does really have a, a found footage documentary vibe, which is what I think makes that movie so brilliant.
0: Yeah, I saw that for the very first time at the New Bev. Oh, and wow. I had, I mean, I had read like With all the triple?
1: Th- was it that recently?
0: Uh, it was recently, but I don't think there was a triple. I think it was just a double that was... Maybe it was a triple. Fun I only stayed
1: and uh, Eatin' alive. You maybe. know I think it
0: was, but the people I was with only wanted to go for the first one, so I just went for the first. Um, and also, I'm I'm a little out of practice sitting for doubles. To be honest, I have to get my stamina back. Up. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I took some time off of like going to the theater, and then like I'm getting back into it. Like, I was yeah, able I haven't to see you that much lately, and but... I was able to sit for that. But I went for the Phantom on Monday, yeah. on that Monday. But um, but yeah, and I, I mean, like, I know all this stuff. I know all this like back history about. Mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So for me to see it at that point in time, it was a completely different experience than seeing it.
1: What'd you think of it?
0: I liked it. I mean, for me, it's like I'm able to look at it through like the whole vegetarian vegan angle. It's uh-huh. like one of those great vegetarian horror yeah, movies yeah. because it's all about yeah. the slaughterhouse, etc. Yeah. And so uh, that's how I was able to look at it. Yeah. Uh, but it's funny because like the whole like the dance of the rising sun or whatever it's uh-huh. called at the end. Like I had always heard that term and like I never understood like what it was. Right. But that wasn't like I don't know. It didn't impact me the way I thought it was going to. Grace
1: and I just call it disco leatherface. We like that. Like <laughs> he's just like, ha ha ha, he's dancing. He's all um, excited. Yeah. I am. I, um, yeah, that movie is a is a skating comment on the on the meat industry, isn't it? It is. It <laughs> yeah. is. And I
0: that's one of the reasons why I really like it. Yeah. Because I it's, like that it, it has that dialogue about like what are you yeah. eating.
1: And Marilyn Burns is like that's her name, right? Marilyn Burns. I she's think so. like she's just amazing like her performance is like so it's not even acting i don't know what that is like she's she like completely breaks as a person in that film it's wild
0: it is really wild it's it's one of those movies though that's like you should see at the right place at the right time Mm -hmm. like some people they're like you have to see this you have to see this you have to see this and it's like well i'll see it when i'm ready
1: one of my favorite ways to watch texas chainsaw massacre is i have a 16 millimeter print it was one of the original release prints that you know was like a rental and it's it's on this specific stock called Kodak SP mm-hmm. and Kodak SP doesn't go it doesn't fade and become pink like regular Kodak Eastman stock does I
0: love pink Eastman I don't Oh
1: <laughs> okay real quick real quick so it's Kodak SP and it keeps the blues and the greens but it turns sepia so oh. so the whole thing looks like it's been marinated in barbecue sauce oh, that's, that's my wonderful. favorite version of chainsaw massacre that's I a good her.
0: version our time is up but zero yeah. is there any final thought that you'd like to leave the audience with
1: um i love la i love watching movies i need to be drawing more lately and uh hopefully uh i have some shows i'm working on hopefully they'll come out soon and uh i do i miss i miss some of my fans so I'm not dead. I'm out there.
0: He's not. He's just amongst the pinball machines.
1: And the <laughs> yeah. I'm <laughs> and hiding the amongst ar- an arcade and film reels.
0: Exactly. Thank you, Ciro, for coming on to the show. You're welcome. If you'd like to keep up with Ciro, you can catch him on Instagram at super robot 74. And you can also check out some of his stickers, prints, and okay, I'm going to say this wrong because I always do. It's a zine 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 Zines. it's a zine oh yeah. god i always say zine oh Zine's cool you can pick up a zine <laughs> over at giant magic inc that's uh giant magic i'm gala avery and this has been the gala show the gala show is brought to you by Insertomatic. This episode was executive produced by Roger Avery and produced by Gala Avery. Music composed by Andy Milburn. As always, I'm your host, Gala Avery. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's Project Avery dot org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart.